The, um, the subject uh, that I was given this morning to, to talk on is the gift of wisdom. And I'll be reading, I'll, I'll start off by reading a couple of passages um, of scripture from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So for those of you with Bibles or electronic versions of the Bible and apps and things, we'll be reading from Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 12 uh, that shed some light on wisdom and the nature of the gift of wisdom. So I'll read the scripture passages, then I'll talk a little bit about wisdom and about what it is, uh, and then we'll come back to the content of the passages and what we can take from them before summing up at the end. So the first passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 14. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 14. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Sorry, I'm reading from the... ESV, just so you know, because there are, yeah. Yet among the matures we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us from God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting scriptural truths to those who are scriptural. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And now I'll read a slightly shorter passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 13. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. Just like to say a, a short prayer now. Heavenly Father, Lord, please grant us today, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the ability to grasp some of the meaning in these passages. 
Lord, to understand the nature of wisdom. Help us, Lord, to use these passages to get to know you better and your plans for our lives, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to think through a number of things today, and I I sort of wrote down several questions before I started. So what is wisdom? Why is it a gift? Can everyone be wise? Why Why is it important that we seek wisdom? And what difference should it make to our lives, if anything? Our son, Harry, is studying at at university, studying philosophy. And uh, he does try and explain it to Kim and I occasionally. And I have to say, after a while, it gets a little bit too complicated and I tend to sort of gloss over uh, because it's all very abstract and it gets sort of very precise. Um, All all I know is that he's now, uh, because he's studying philosophy, he's now a nightmare to have an argument with. The the English word philosophy comes from two Greek words, um, philo, meaning to love, and sophia, which is a lovely name, or sophie, meaning wisdom. And the Greeks were more interested, I think, from what I can make out, in more abstract matters. So they were, they, the Greeks were interested in the relationship between the mind and matter, or the mind and reality. Maybe they were interested in theories of knowledge itself, and also even sometimes they also thought about how humans ought to live, how people ought to live, that branch of philosophy called um, normative ethics. But for the Jews... Their focus was more concentrated on the nature of God. For example, who he is, what's his character, and uh, and what is he like. Joan read a similar psalm to the one I I looked at as well. Psalm 110, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. And this is fear in the sense of a, a child Um, having reverence and awe for a loving parent. This isn't a cowering uh, um, um, fear of of, of being mistreated in some way. It's having respect and reverence. So to the Jews, the fear of the Lord was about pursuing a deeper understanding of who God is and, and living a life more godly that would please him. The Bible explains that true wisdom is all about God and knowing him better. And in Psalm 14, uh, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And this must be a very important uh, verse because it says exactly the same thing in Psalm 53, verse 1 as well. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And and when, when we look at foolishness, we're not talking about lacking in intelligence. I think we all know and can think of examples of experts uh, so-called experts in the world who are, who are plenty foolish, but rather those people who have, who have no reverence or love uh, for God or respect for him. And I think we only need to think about the advances in science and technology uh, and the wars that have taken place over the last 150 years to realise that you know, man can have unbounded knowledge and very little wisdom about how to live our lives. And we also know that worldly wisdom can be quite temporary Uh, in its nature. The things that experts tell us today can be very different from what experts tell us tomorrow. And I came across um, three examples which I thought were quite good. So there's a company called Western Union, which some of you may have heard of. They still, this example is from 1876, quite a while ago. I think they're still involved in money transfers. Um, But at that point, they were a company that only did, uh, they um, did telegrams. They were a telegram company in the United States. 
and um, they were um, looking at a newfangled um, um, invention that had just come out. And in an internal memo from 1876, they said, the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered a means of communication. In 1949, in a magazine called Popular Mechanics, they were, notice, they were noting the speed of technology, uh, the technological change, and I think they were really going out on a prophetic limb when they said, computers in the future may weigh no more than one and a half tons. <laughs> and, and in 1962, the, uh, the record company Decca reviewed a new band that was coming onto the scene, and they said, we don't like their sound. And guitar music, guitar music is on the way out. And they were talking about the Beatles. <laughs> now I think it's probably true to say that every culture um, has a collection of preserved sayings and, and wisdom and insights that have been gathered from generation to generation. And in our Bible there are about 800,000 words contained in about 30,000 verses and those verses were written down, uh, were transposed into written form over a period of about one and a half thousand years. So, you know, giving us the revealed truth of God about what pleases him, what vexes him, and his plan for our salvation. Within the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are a, a, a number of books that are um, referred to as wisdom literature. And they're Proverbs, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes and, and Song of Solomon and in the New Testament as well the book of James is often included in the genre of, of wisdom literature because it contains seven topics that are often included uh, or prominent in the Old Testament wisdom literature such as patience and wisdom um, and uh, prayer and sickness and sin now we can learn a lot about earthly wisdom through experience and through making mistakes in our lives but in the wisdom literature in the Bible, you know, we've got a source of retained wisdom uh, that's been learned through generations. We know that in our lives, that sooner or later, you know, we will um, encounter pain and hurt and suffering. That's the nature of human existence. It's what Christian writers in times past called travelling through the veil or the valley of tears. And the wisdom books help us to cope through these difficult life events. They teach us examples of how to behave and how to respond to the actions of others, uh, for example. However, we don't simply have a handbook um, or a reference book of laws which uh, sort of can unlock the secrets of life where if something happens we can just look up verse 19 and, and see what to do. They contain truisms and they contain wisdom and insights that are generally but not universally true. And it just depends on the situation um, as to how we should apply that divine uh, divinely inspired wisdom. A, a very obvious, obvious example of, uh, of this, the, the need to think about the context, is if you look in Proverbs 26.4, it would tell you, it says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So it's probably unwise to engage in utterly foolish discussion because uh, there could be little to be gained from it and you might end up looking a bit foolish yourself. But the very next verse following it, Proverbs 26.5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And I struggled with that verse 
Um, but, um, but I read somebody who said that it's probably to do with um, if you engage in an abstract discussion sometimes, um, it's, it's often, it can be useful to take the other person's premise, argue it to, an ex- to their extreme, sort of proving the irrationality of their position. So this is why we need to use proverbs in a way where you know, we, we have them in the back of our minds, we understand the general sort of precepts and the guidance and we apply it as appropriate um, you know, when we encounter certain situations. Kim knows that I love listening to the sermons and lectures of a, of a US pastor and theologian called R.C. Sproul. I don't know if anybody, uh, any of you have come across R.C. Sproul. But he sadly died at the end of 2017. But um, I was listening recently to a story he told. And um, he said he was um, in his car outside of Pittsburgh. And um, he was, uh, there were some very long tunnels just outside of Pittsburgh called the Liberty Tubes or probably called the Liberty Tubes. And, um, and he, was, he said he was going through those. He said, once you're in the, in, the, in the tubes, he said, once you're in the tunnel, there's no way of changing lane. All the signs say you must stay in lane, for safety reasons, I guess. And he was in the right-hand lane, and he came out of the tube and uh, came out of the tunnel and realized that he was in the wrong lane. He needed to, to turn left, and he could see it coming up quite close. And despite all the signs, he looked around and quickly sort of moved into the left-hand lane and thought, you know, he'd rectified the situation. And then was just about to turn left and the lights changed and he had to stop. And then he checked his, uh, his rear-view mirror and he could see a police motorcycle uh, sort of pulling up behind him. And he said this feeling of dread came over him. And um, he could see that the, the, the police motorcyclist, the police officer, was absolutely furious at what he'd done. He, apparently this was a big hulking police officer. He said, and he strode up to, he could see him like striding up to the car, and he banged on the roof of the car, and he said, what on earth do you think you were doing? And R.C. said, all he could think of, 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 other than being a bit scared, at that point was Proverbs 15.1, where it says, a soft answer turns away wrath. So he slowly wound the, uh, the, the window down, looked at the officer and said something like, Officer, I'm really sorry at what I did. I, you know, I can see that it was completely my fault. I shouldn't have done it and you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And he said the police officer looked as if he was going to explode and said, forget it, and turned around and walked back to his car. And, uh, so I think the wisdom books can if we're familiar with them and have those truths filed away in our minds, you know, guide us in the way of sensible living. You can imagine what would have happened if he'd expressed anger or tried to defend himself in some way. So now that we know that the wisdom of God is about knowing more about God and trying to live in accordance with his will, um, and also where we can find wisdom in the Bible and in, in those books specifically referred to as wisdom literature, So let's go back to the two passages I first read, starting with 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14. So verse 6, it says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. And when it says mature, it's referring to the Greek word teleos here, meaning perfect. And the word um, people being perfect um, is is, uh, referring to the established body of believers, people who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. So yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, and that wisdom is the good news, the gospel, the message of uh, of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And it says, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, 
which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And this secret and hidden wisdom doesn't refer to a mysterious cult-like wisdom. The passage explains a little bit more clearly in the coming verses. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So that reference to what no eye has seen nor ear heard comes from Isaiah 64, if you're interested. But I think that um, from verse 10, where it talks about these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, is very important. So the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit that teaches and enables us to have any wisdom that we have. And the verse says that the Holy Spirit searches everything. That doesn't mean he's looking around for something he doesn't have any knowledge of and and he's seeking to find out uh, something. But the Holy Spirit shines a searchlight on the gospel and the truths of the faith and reveals their meaning to us. In the New Testament times, they had the apostles, such as Paul, to explain things directly to them and impart the wisdom and the truth. We have the Bible, which is the revealed truth of God, and it's scripture that the Holy Spirit illumines or or shines upon for our benefit. And the work of the Holy Spirit in illuminating the scripture and the truth is not supplying any new or um, revealed information to us about God that is not contained in the scripture. Everything we need to know is contained in the scripture. And 2 Timothy 3.16 confirms that all scripture is profitable for correction and reproof and all for righteousness and for doctrine and correction. And that's why we must always test what we hear uh, through scripture because the Holy Spirit always works with scripture and through scripture and never against scripture. So if anyone ever has a word from the Lord, then we must always test it against scripture. And if it's about something that can't easily be tested by scripture, such as which university should my children go to, or who should I choose for my husband or my wife, then we should pray to God to guide us uh, and to straighten our paths and to open the doors we need open and to close those doors we need closed. And I think we should be very wary for those who may profess to directly know the will of God, even if they mean well. Kim and I lived in Bonn in Germany for four years. I worked for Ford and we've got some factories over there and, um, and that was a great time. And, and during that time I, I served on the council of the American Protestant Church. Um, and, and at one time, um, during that period, in a way that only American organisations can do, I, were, I, I served in the, uh, the role of president of the council. And I probably had a big quiff and a long red tie or something at the time. But I supported the senior pastor as we went through a um, a consultation exercise about potentially changing the name of the church, the American Protestant Church. Um, And there were a lot of strong opinions on both sides. The Remainers, if you like, uh, were mindful of the history of the um, um, Stimson Memorial Chapel that the American Protestant Church had its services in. And that had played quite an important life in, the, um, in postmodern Germany and the, the transition um, after the war. 
And then there were the changers who thought that the American Protestant church name was a little bit exclusive and could be more inclusive and, and appealing to the local community. And one lady in particular sticks in my mind. She had very strong opinions and, and at one point um, in a meeting challenged the meeting by saying something like, I prayed for hours on my face, on the floor, listening to God's voice and he's told me X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And I thought, well, he hasn't told me that. And she was convinced that she knew God's purpose specifically, uh, God's answer to the questions that we were asking at that time. And, and that, was a, that was difficult for many people because that kind of approach stifles uh, constructive discussion. And there were also other examples, and it was a very difficult time in the, um, in, in the very fractious time in the life of the church and led to a number of people leaving the congregation. Now, I'm of the belief that often in our lives where we encounter um, problems and issues, there are often a number of right answers that we could take. But the important thing is that we need to check scripture and live our lives according to God's laws and the guidance given to us uh, in scripture, made relevant to us by the Holy Spirit. Going back to our passage, verse 11, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So this, these verses tell us that we have, past tense, received the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved and we're given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who can help us discern and learn and develop our wisdom in the Lord. Verse 13 says, And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And it says the natural person, that is a non-believer, as opposed to a spiritual person or a believer, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And this refers back, I think, to Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 that we looked at earlier on. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And obviously those, the, the truths of God are, are foolishness to that person. So from this passage, I think we can learn that, uh, that we can gain greater knowledge of God and the nature of God and his life-saving plans for our lives through the Holy Spirit who prompts us and who shines a light on scripture for us in a way that, that is hidden from non-believers. Okay, so turning to Corinthians 12 again, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. It says, there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. And varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the Greek word translated each here, apparently, is hekasos. And that's a superlative word, and it means each and everyone everybody. So to everybody is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the Holy Spirit starts to live within us from the point of our conversion and he gives us all some kind of gift or service 
to share and to serve in some way. And that gift or service is to be used for the common good. So we're instructed to use these gifts and to serve in a way that benefits the church, the body. Not for our own benefit, but so it builds up and edifies the body of Christ. Chapter 8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and it goes on to list a number of the different types of, of gifts of the Spirit. And, and when it says, it, it clearly makes a distinction in verse 8 between wisdom and knowledge. They definitely overlap, but there's a clear distinction nevertheless. And I read earlier on in Psalm 110 about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom. To be meaningful, uh, the Reformed Study Bible says that to fear the Lord, that is to grow in wisdom, it says uh, then something cognitive, something effective, and something volitional must happen. So cognitive, we must know God. We must have knowledge of God, uh, knowledge of him, and know what he wants for our lives. It's a cognitive mind understanding. And it must be effective. It must make a difference. We must be impacted by this knowledge. It must touch our hearts, and we must know and recognize what God wants for our lives. And finally, there must be something volitional as a result. That is, we must make a decision based on that knowledge that's touched our heart to behave in a certain way and to act on it. To turn away from evil or perhaps to avoid poor behaviour. We often have a choice of what to do. It's up to us uh, to elect which choice to take. So if wisdom is one of the spiritual gifts, does this mean that we either have it or we don't have it? Well, in James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5, it says, Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So how can we grow in wisdom? We can ask God for wisdom. And we can explicitly pray and ask God for wisdom. King Solomon asked God for wisdom, And God was so pleased with that, he gave him wisdom and riches in lavish amounts. We can also come closer to God by being familiar with scripture and growing in knowledge of him and letting that knowledge seep into our lives and affect the way we live our lives. Thomas Watson, um, at the very beginning of his um, book called A Body of Divinity, points to Colossians 1 and states that it's the first duty of Christians to be settled in the doctrine of faith. That is, to know the essential truths of our faith. And that book, A Body of Divinity, was written in 1692, but it's still printed by A Banner of Truth, and it's a fantastic book I'd, I'd recommend to you. It just it lays out really clearly all the essential truths of our faith. And, and Thomas Watson later uh, in that book says, we should conform to scripture and lead scripture lives. And he gives a really nice example of a carpenter who, um, in order to do his job better, he has a ruler but he elects not to use that ruler and keeps it in his back pocket. 
and essentially says, if we have the wisdom of God contained in scripture and we don't make good use of it, well, what's the point of having scripture? Jesus was a carpenter and he prayed frequently and he quoted scripture often. So here's my summary for today. Wisdom is a spiritual gift. It's given to some more than others, but it's accessible to each and every one of us. And we should seek wisdom and not simply knowledge. We should ask our Heavenly Father for greater understanding and greater wisdom, and we should seek that through scripture and through prayer. But the point of doing that, the so what, should be that it makes a difference to our lives. We should get to know God better. We should allow him to touch our hearts. And then, most importantly, strive to live a life that's pleasing to him.